and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Last Action Hero, Chapter 7 of the Friends Travaganza. Just kidding. It's just Last Action Hero. Was Arnold ever on Friends in any capacity? Oh, man. No. I would have. Even if I hadn't seen the episode, that, that would have made waves enough that I would have known about it. No. What about Danny DeVito, F. Murray Abraham, <laughs> Veronica Vaughn? Somebody in this movie. There has to be. Robert uh, Patrick, Sharon Stone, Tina Turner. Someone had to be on there. God, uh, no. <laughs> I think that this is just somehow it's it's a perfect movie to move away from the French extravaganza. Jim Belushi, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Come on, man. Give me someone. Oh, Jean-Claude Van Damme was in season one. Was he really? Yeah. 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 He's, uh, he's shooting a movie and uh, I think... Monica and Rachel uh, fall for him. Well, there you go. There is a tie. As we learned while doing the Friends Ravaganza, it's like kind of the new Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon or Simpsons did it type thing. You can tie a lot of shit to that. So lesson learned. But nevertheless, regardless, irregardless as some people like to say, that has no bearing on what we're doing today. I guess with JCVD and the more prominent action stars and franchises of the modern era uh that definitely plays into our lead today arnold schwarzenegger who at this point i'm so ripe and just overflowing with office references that every time i hear arnold schwarzenegger i immediately hear michael go rhymes with parnold schwarzenegger uh (laughs) and jim going tom cruise Breaking ground today with a movie I watched for the first time in preparation for this. Uh, just one of those movies that I never got around to. And in the second part of this, we'll talk to why that is p- potentially. But for the first portion here, we're going to talk about Last Action Hero from 1993. The movie that was brilliantly, only by geniuses to make this call, released the week after Jurassic Park. <laughs> On June 18th of 1993, directed by John McTiernan, the screenplay by Shane Black and David Arnett. Julio, had you seen this prior to our uh, screening for this episode? A long time ago. Uh, I knew it. I think I remember most of it from memes than from the actual experience of watching it. As, uh, I mean, I don't know how familiar you were with, uh, with the plot. I guess we'll get into that, but... Uh, I remember renting it when when I was a kid, watching it on VHS, and uh, you know, it was. I don't think I got it. <laughs> and now I definitely got yeah. it. <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll talk about in the second half kind of my memories of it as a kid because like some of the films we've done previously that I have had never seen but have very vivid memories of. Boy, this one took over. Uh, in terms of like you know the child aimed marketing more than Jurassic Park. Well, I played Jurassic Park on the Genesis a lot more than I ever played Last Action Hero. So that uh, it had like tying. I guess we'll just get into it now. Um, it had like the Burger King Happy Meals and like these collectors cup you could get at Burger collector cups. Excuse me, you could get at Burger King that had like film reels on the side. It was like this action sequence that was happening and like the cup had this like sleeve on it that you rotated around the cup and it made like, it wasn't even, um, 
there's those images that you move lenticular. It wasn't that. It was like this thing that you spun and it was like a comic strip on these cups that you got. And man, Too I remember complicated. those. <laughs> I think that was why this movie got such a bad rap in 1993. People didn't want to be treated this way. They were just like, can I just drink my Coke? <laughs> just show me a dinosaur. Uh, so I remember that. I remember the video game and just all the TV spots, the action figures. Uh, for our wrestling fans, Zack Ryder talked about um, the toy line for this. He used for his wrestling figures. He, when he got the Danny figure from this, he used it as himself in his wrestling league. Uh, so there is like all these kind of nerd tie-ins to this movie. And also Children of the 90s in America. You, you see Burger King in this movie. So the the promotion was very real. But I remember... I don't know why, because like I said, I've never seen the movie, but man, I remember going to Burger King and just, blam, Arnold right in your face. A movie that has a pretty fascinating legacy in the sense of it is beloved by many, but nothing changes the fact that it was a disastrous bomb for, uh, was it Columbia Pictures that put out this film? Yeah, Columbia, and uh, I think they partnered with Sony for this, ended up losing $26 million in total. We'll get into potentially, uh, you know, reasons for that outside of just not being Jurassic Park. <laughs> not being directed by Steven Spielberg. Oh, come on, man. You had John McTiernan. You had Predators. You had Die Hard. This guy had, you know, Hunt for Red October. This guy had put in the work up until this point. He hadn't directed the Thomas Crown Affair yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, he hadn't. And uh, I think what we'll find is this movie was just a case of Shane Black getting, you know, a little too cute for his own good. <laughs> this is, uh, well, of course it is. I was going to say, this is Shane Black post-Predator, like post-being on screen for Predator. And of course it was. Yeah, this was, Predator was 87, I want to say. So, yeah, we had some time. Predator also starring the future governor of Minnesota, Jesse the Body Ventura. That's the only person that was missing in this in far, as far as action stars. Push all that back to the second portion of the podcast. Welcome to the Contrarians, if this is your first time listening. Welcome, returning listeners. You all know the deal. Give us a moment here to explain what it is we do. We'll explain why we're covering this, and then we're going to dive deep into Last Action Hero. So here on the Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as Certified Fresh with that pretty IP next to it. And what we'll do is bring that movie down a few pegs, bring it down to size, discuss maybe uh, why this is a bit over-celebrated, overrated, some of the things the critics overlooked, swept under the rug, uh, even sometimes just bad acting. Conversely, we'll find a film on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten. And as you would have guessed, make a case for the positive merit in the film. Uh, bold storytelling choices, score, uh, good acting, underrated direction, you know, just all in an attempt to say that, you know, these Rotten Tomatoes scores don't exactly tell the whole story. And also, you can really be as over the moon about something as you want to be if you really set your mind to it. And also, you know, you can be as cynical as you want to be about something if, if your heart's is so content to do so. Uh, Last Action Hero currently stands at 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. So in this first portion, uh, we'll be defending this and talking about maybe why this is a, an unheralded classic. Uh, that comprises the first half, the first part of our episode, what we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movies we're discussing, they just need to hang around until the second half. That's correct. The second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, is where we tell you how we really feel. We forget about the tomato meter score and we just go with our actual true experiences. Uh, like Alex said, it's his first time watching this movie and it might as well be the first time for me. So we've never really talked about this, uh, about Last Action Hero. So we're both going to be discovering how the other one uh, experienced this uh, action comedy uh, alongside the audience. It's going to be a, a journey of discovery during part two of the Last Action Hero episode. Did you watch it on Netflix as well? I did. I was pleasantly surprised that it was on Netflix. It seems yes. like too hip. <laughs> you know, this is a, with its cult status as it is now, it's almost like finding one of those black and white classics on the Netflix selection. <laughs> like, what? I thought you it's guys right had next to Nosferatu. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. Casablanca, and Last Action Hero. 
because you liked Stranger Things. Ugh. <laughs> Columbia Pictures is proud to present the screen's greatest action hero, Jack Slater. Slater, you hear me? This is the lieutenant governor. Slater, here's what I... The governor gets here, call me. And Danny Madigan is his biggest fan. <laughs> Jack Slater 4. But tonight, a magic ticket... It's a passport to another world. ...will get Danny closer to the action... <laughs> ...than anyone ever dreamed. Julio, you were the curator of the Friends Stravaganza, and so for the past few months, you've just been kind of telling me, hey, watch this before this and do this. So <laughs> it's going to take me a while to get back in the swing of things of us, you know, just doing random movies again. Uh, but my understanding is that Last Action Hero was brought to us by one of our wonderful patrons. Yes, wonderful Jamie Russell, who uh, gave us a, a one-two punch uh, combo with his uh, patron picks, his patron demands for this month for the patron feed. You guys have probably already listened to our last black man in San Francisco uh, episode. And then for the main feed, you know, he hit us with, with this one, another, another in the longstanding series of lasts. I wonder if, if, I wonder if there's another last that caps the trilogy for Jamie. Uh, last Tango in Paris. Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> last of the Mohicans, last Tango in Paris. Last Starfighter? That's that's a movie, right? I believe so. About last night. <laughs> okay, now now we're getting creative with that. <laughs> There's got to be some fucking horror movie that has last in it. I'm try. I'm blanking because like uh, you know, Last House on the Left. Oof, oof, <laughs> please, unless it's the 2000 what nine remake with uh, Garrett Dillahunt. I'll, I'll rock with that. But I, I'm thinking because it's Final Friday, uh, final chapter. Those, those classic franchises were just scared of using the word last. <laughs> there is that fucking awesome Arnold movie to... Okay, this is the final one. The the it, it's I think it's called The Last Stand when Hollywood went through that brief period of trying to make just fun action movies again and you people ruined it for everybody because you didn't go see them. <laughs> so that brings us back to Arnold and the subject du jour. Did he give a reason for why we're doing Last Action Hero? He didn't. Uh, and unlike uh, Paul on his last, uh, you know, last month's patron pick, uh, he actually took a couple days to to hit me with these titles. He said, "Let me think about it," and then he thought about it, and then he came back with these. And I wasn't gonna question, you know. It's like Jamie, if you want to give us reasons, you give us reasons. If you want to preserve the mystery of what's going on through your head when you when you throw these titles at us, so be it. We're happy to go either way. But uh, see that the Jamie is pretty. Uh, Jamie likes to interact with us online, so I think that if nothing else, once he hears this episode, he will he will just tell us if if he likes this movie, if he doesn't like this movie. Uh, it'd be funny if he's never seen it and he just wanted a reason to watch it. He's Jamie's kind of old school when it comes to uh, you know celebrating some some classics. So I get the feeling that this is a movie that he likes. I would hope so. It's got Little Richard in it for crying out loud. <laughs> so a movie that I tried to do limited research on because for whatever reason, uh, by whatever luck of God or whatever you want to call it, this movie's fuck over thirty years old. And uh, no, 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 excuse me. Almost 30 years old. It will be 30 years old next next year. But I've never seen it and nothing about it was really spoiled. But, you know, just kind of the brief research I did sounded like a pretty intense production so much so that they were still shooting scenes the week before it came out, which I'm not entirely sure of too many other movies I've heard of with this level of budget and this level of star power that that was the case with. So um, did it work? Not at the time. Does it work now? Let's get to it. <laughs> 39% on Rotten Tomatoes, Julio. The critics weren't crazy about it then and not now. Because, you know, some of these movies we've talked about, if fuckers want to, they can go in and just bolster these yep. tomato meter scores. And it doesn't seem like anyone's really interested in that. So what uh, what were you able to find? What, what were they saying? Or have they been saying? 
All right. I got a few rotten quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes website, and we're going to start with uh, an old friend of the show, Emmanuel Levy from EmmanuelLevy.com, who says, Joyless, tasteless, and soulless. Last action hero can't decide if it's an actioner, a comedy, or spoof. Alex, can't it be all three? How on earth can you call this movie joyless? <laughs> Emmanuel, we're waiting for your response. Now, something that needs to be kept in mind before we move any further, it being the first time I'm seeing this in 2022 is going to make a huge difference in my interpretation of it. Because I just constantly throughout this movie is like, it used to be better. It used to be better. It used to be better. <laughs> but still, you have Arnold like telling himself, you're the best looking celebrity impressionist I've ever seen. And then, you know, movie Arnold seeing himself in a poster. It's the original Inception. Man. <laughs> Now, that's a joyless movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> People committing suicide left and right in Nolan's uh, masterpiece. I-, I wonder what Emmanuel Levy thinks about Inception. We'll look it up. Next, Frank Ocean from Movie Eye says, Schwarzenegger merely goes through the familiar motions in this toothless send-up of cliché action flicks. Is it toothless, Alex? Is it too gentle? No, this ain't toothless. It leaves bite marks. You got Danny DeVito voicing... Uh, an animated cat shooting F. Murray Abraham in the back. I don't understand how you could see that sequence of film and say this has no bite. (laughs) Next, Bob Bloom from Journal and Courier, Lafayette, Indiana, says, a good idea that is too overblown and poorly executed. Uh, So he's saying Shane Black, good. Uh, John McTiernan, not so much. That's the review with the most legs to stand on thus far. And finally, we got one of those wonderful one-word reviews. Pete Corrado from FilmCritic.com simply says, Awful. Fuck off. Hey, you want to be a farmer? Here's a couple of acres. All right. So, Last Action Hero. One of those just posters from the 90s. That Again, I, I didn't see this movie, but that poster is just burned into my brain. You know, it's one of those things, if I had my eyes closed and you just said, last action hero, I'd think of that poster that animated the swooping Schwarzenegger, like in the Superman font over the top of it. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful. Uh, As I mentioned, directed by John McTiernan, working with Arnold Schwarzenegger again. Screenplay, Shane Black and David Arnett. Released on June 13th of, excuse me, premiered on June 13th of 1993. uh, Released on June 18th of 1993. A budget of $85 million, a box office return of a little under 140 million but again it was a pretty substantial bomb for its uh, its time its moment in the sun it is the story of Danny Madigan he's a 10-year-old boy living in a crime-ridden area of New York City with his widowed mother Irene following his father's death Danny takes comfort in watching action movies, especially a series featuring the indestructible Los Angeles cop Jack Slater at his local movie theater owned by Nick, who also acts as a projectionist. Nick gives Danny a golden ticket once owned by Harry Houdini to see an early screening of Jack Slater, uh, what is it, four before its official release. Okay, number one, that's against the law. That's one of my notes here is that Nick breaks the law in this movie. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's... He could have had his theater shut down for that. Yes, but this is the early 90s, so it was it was a lot harder for them to track that shit. I had just like that Seinfeld episode Danny ha- brings his friend who has like the, you know, the VHS camera and starts recording it. <laughs> it's on the streets beforehand. Halfway through he's like, "Nick, it's out of focus again." <laughs> uh I I'm I'm not going to lie, immediately um reminded me of Tropic Thunder, but I understand that came you know, what 12 15 years later, something like that. Just the the idea of, you know, Tug Speedman and just the same character making eight movies. Scorcher, and then in this case, it's Jack Slater. But Last Action Hero begins, and what you have to keep in mind is you have to put yourself in the time period of this movie. If you fire up Netflix today and press play on Last Action Hero, this opening scene is not going to seem too new or too groundbreaking or fascinating. But myself watching this and thinking of 1993, we start uh, the movie within a movie type gimmick where the opening stanza of this is one of the Jack Slater movies. And, you know, we got Tina Turner showing up for some reason and just kind of all this. Yes. 
and kind of all this chaos of this cop, Jack Slater, who's there to take out, you know, the bad guy of the film, the, the bad guy in this one. And um, it's very cliche, very over the top. And, you know, back in those days, you could have gone to this and not know when you were going to see really and been like, oh, man, this is kind of silly. But then, you know, bam, it goes out of focus and you realize that this is this movie is some something that someone in the movie is watching. And again, Julio, this is something we've become accustomed to and kind of just, you know, fart at or yawn at these days. But in 1993, you know, and again, there were conceivably people going to see this that had no idea what it was about. This this had to be like mind-blowing. Well, especially because the the Jack Slater movie, the movie within a movie, it's not too different from a lot of movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger made back in the day. So, yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of audiences would have just thought that that was Last Action Hero, this really over-the-top first 10 minutes or so of the movie. They're just like, oh, this is this is the movie. This is it. Um, how about you, though, Alex? Because, I mean, you knew you were watching a movie from 1993. So did you think that you were watching the actual movie with this opening? Uh, so I knew a little bit about this. So I knew it was kind of a four, uh, fourth wall breaking meta piece of business. So I wasn't sure when that happened, but I, from watching this, I was like, okay, this seems a bit too Hollywood. So I could sense it coming, but then again, that's coming from me, like a jaded, you know, guy who spent way too much of his life watching movies. So I could sense it, but for John and Jane Q viewer, this had to be just like, like what? <laughs> that's not Arnold. He's, he's someone else. Uh, but yeah, it was all a movie, and our main character, Danny, runs up to the projection booth, and I was immediately just overwhelmed with nostalgia, and my sister watched this with me and said, that looks cool, and I was like, yeah, it was. <laughs> and you know, there it was not lost on me that he walks up there and the projectionist is asleep, because, brother, I took plenty of naps up there in the booth, but he wakes up, puts it back into focus, but as the credits are rolling, and you know, we get from the jump here that this is a kid that's obsessed with uh, Jack Slater and action movies and, you know, uses these films as an escapism, which is what they're fucking meant to be. Let's be honest. Um, Do you think that this movie plays better now because it benefits from that nostalgia of, you know, 93, we didn't, at least I don't think we really had like multiplexes, at least not the way that we have them now. And, digital projection was definitely <laughs> something that was in the far off future. So when you see it now, because it happened to me too, even before anything magical starts happening in the plot of the movie, just the atmosphere of the movie felt magical because yes. it was something that, like you always say, it, it almost no longer exists. Just that uh, the intimacy of the one single film projector, uh, the, the the massive auditorium, uh, because you know the building hasn't been divided and subdivided into smaller rooms. It's just this one big theater playing the one movie, the one print. Uh, time's gone by, and so maybe in '93, <laughs> this was just like making a movie about whatever's happening then. But when we watch it here, all these years later, almost three decades later, we appreciate it because it's gone. One hundred percent, and it's you know. That all envelops and combines. This movie is made with absolutely no cynicism. And that also includes the settings that it takes place in. But I guess the um, question is, do you think that that was, do you think that's a happy accident? Or not even necessarily happy, but, you know, kind of like a, a accidental consequence of, well, now we live in the future. Uh, or do you think that Shane Black was writing this and thinking, I know how life works. <laughs> I know that technology evolves. And I know that whatever age of cinema we're living in right now, it's going to be vastly different down the line. And I want this movie to kind of survive and be my legacy, regardless of how it does at the box office. I want it to be this eventual love letter to old-fashioned movie theaters. I think you might be onto something here with Shane Black being that this movie was testing the waters of the new technology of knowing where it's going to go. And I think he should be celebrated for creating a time capsule of a time when it was better 
fucking 30 years from now, no one's going to look back on one of these Marvel movies and think it used to be better. No one's going to look back on a movie that shows someone loading a hard drive to project a movie and say, oh, man, remember those days? So I think Shane Black deserves a lot of credit for either purposely or inadvertently creating this time capsule of a, a, a bygone time when things were simpler and better. But yeah, I absolutely remember movie theaters like this. I remember seeing The Nutty Professor, the first one in like, Bowling Green, Ohio, at this theater that was just like that. Not the stadium seating. It was just like the sloped down walkway with the seats and buying like canned soda at the concession stand because it was just this old timey theater downtown that had one one theater to show shit in. And you were grateful and you were happy because you <laughs> were just at the movies. It was you special. weren't pissed that it wasn't 3D or it wasn't 2D or something. It was. It was special. You didn't have to. Uh, the only thing missing from this opening is uh, in order to capture the, the magic the way that Tarantino did, Daddy needed to take his shoes off and just put his bare feet on top of the, oh, the man. front row. That, then we're appealing to a demographic that we want no part of <laughs> and Paramount Pictures wants no part of. <laughs> but Danny, yeah, like I said, escapism. He uses movies as an escape, and I understand why. He's got it rough. His mom works overnight shifts. He lives by himself. He's like, what, 10 or 12, staying at home? Uh, 10 it says here in the, the plot summation and um, we see he does love his movies even so much so as when he's in school he reimagines things like Hamlet he reimagines starring Jack Slater which you know this movie is honestly as I can use the expression it's a pretty tight two hours so I wouldn't want it to be too much longer but I, I did think it was missed out that we should have had more reimaginings of movies and plays with Arnold in them because, you know, he's smoking a cigar in Hamlet and going on with it. It gets you excited for more. Exactly. Uh, but we mentioned uh, Danny, single mother, played by Mercedes uh, Ruel, who, of course, now has been on The Contrarians. Is this her second time? Second time, I mean, two and a half, because we talked about The Fisher King, I think, in an After Hours. We did, yes, where she won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, but... Um, definitely does all she can with the, the short amount of time she's allotted in this film. Like I said, she works overnight, so she leaves Danny one night. He ends up getting robbed. I kind of thought this might have been like a fantasy sequence, but nope. This poor kid just gets fucking robbed by this dude who comes into his apartment. And, and then this asshole with a knife like lambasts him for not having anything. He's like, you, you don't have a VCR. You don't have jewelry. And so... Danny has to go down to the uh, local police precinct and report what happened. And then he ends up going back to the theater because, like we said, uh, the prince came in early and Nick has the the advanced uh, screening of Jack Slater 4. And what he explains here is true. Like, 14 years before I started working in a movie theater, I have to screen it tonight by myself. That's what you did. Because establishments <laughs> yeah. took pride in what they did. Please retain your stubs, sir. So, so Nick, this old Nick, where do you know him from? Did you recognize him from anything? Mrs. Doubtfire. Who is he in Mrs. Doubtfire? Is he the, the host? The He's like the TV station rep that meets... Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he, to offer him the job, that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then he shows up dressed up and he's like, meet your newest character, that type of thing. But Okay, well, he's, uh, uh, he's in Gremlins 2. Yeah, that too. But Nick looks like me if film projection was a viable profession. Like, that would be me <laughs> 40, 50 years from now. I would still be doing that. And, like, I just his office I was like, God, this guy has it made. Of course, this theater is absolutely falling apart. Like, they, they don't even have a sign. They have restrooms spray painted on the wall there. But, um, <laughs> it's part of the ambiance, Alex. <laughs> it, it makes it. Uh, so, yeah, he has the, the, the ticket. The magic ticket that was given to him by Houdini, but he's not sure that, uh, or once owned, excuse me, by Houdini. He's not fucking 200, so. Um, <laughs> gives him this ticket, tears it. He takes it into the screening of the film. He ends up getting, you know, he's all excited watching this. Uh, hey, quick question. Uh, what do you make of the fact that uh, Jack Slater 4 is just called Jack Slater 4? Because I think Jack Slater 2, at some point, they mentioned it and it has a subtitle. So like Return of the Strangler or something. Do you think that uh, Shane Black was kind of predicting that trend of uh, 
like in the Rocky franchise. Once he got to like Rocky Five, it was just like Balboa, and then once he got at Rambo, once he got to the fourth one, it was just John Rambo, and I think Jack Slater Four. It just they went down to basics for this one. It's like Jack Slater Four. That's it. It's just Slater. That's <laughs> just where it's Slater. going. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. I mean, it was. I think. Yeah. He had a bit of a his ear to the ground and some insight into what the future looked like, and it was going to be pretty minimal. Uh. So yeah, I didn't take much away from it. I just. At this point, I was already starting to get lost in the movie when it was like, I'm now learning that Arnold Schwarzenegger exists in the universe of this. So it's just getting more and more bomb as we go along. <laughs> but Danny gets blasted. He gets blown into the movie like this thing of dynamite comes flying out like you're at Universal Studios at one of the big attractions or something. And he gets blasted into the movie and he's in the back of Jack Slater's car and he's part of this chase. And we get all these fucking awesome practical effects that continue on and... uh Arnold just a role he was honestly born to play here. If it wasn't the Terminator, it was this in terms of just being this yoked up action star who just gets off on delivering one liners. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Danny's still trying to make sense of what's going on. And we start, you know, we get back to the the police station, the movie, and we just start getting this deluge of uh, cameos because at one point I was like that that looked like Sharon Stone and I looked it up and it actually was and then we get Robert Patrick as a T-1000 uh, the animated cats there so we're clearly in a fantasy world of movies almost like a Roger Rabbit type affair and uh, then we get F. Murray Abraham who's his name is Practice real life uh, not the animated version yes correct excuse me yeah we have actual F. Murray Abraham as John Practice uh, who's Jack's friend and the thing is the first encounter says, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And he goes, practice. And then later he yells, practice. And he goes, make perfect. And they, they have a really good rapport They're back adorable. and forth. Did you catch that uh, later on in the movie, they get the, another background character is the black and white version of Humphrey Bogart? No, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's amazing just the amount of like background gags that they have in this movie. But yeah, just like... You know, like when you discover the the animated cat, because there's, there's a guy that's calling out assignments and saying, okay, your partner is this person. And then they're like, Johnson, your partner up with the black and white version of Humphrey Bogart. That's fantastic. And you see him like in the background. My note just says, my God, this rules. Because I was at this point just having so much fun. Uh, Danny's trying to explain like he knows everything because he's like, we're in a movie. And the people in there, of course, don't understand they're in a movie. It's like Wreck-It Ralph type thing. And so they're just like, okay, Um they think he's crazy. And then uh, Slater takes him to a blockbuster, which, again, it used to be better. Having worked at a blockbuster as well, I just was immediately nostalgic for that. Uh, and then we see the universe there is a little bit different, though, because we get the panning shot and we see the bottom of a standee for uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and it pans up and it's Stallone. I howled. Like, I let out, like, an audible, like, ha, huh? when that showed up on screen. So what does this mean for the Stallone franchises, though? Is somebody else... Rocky Ooh. Rambo? Curious. Curious question. Jesse Ventura? That's Jesse Ventura, um, who played Kanicki in Greece. Maybe he went on to be Rocky. <laughs> Jeff Conley. <laughs> no, there you go. Travolta is Rocky. Oh, my God. Adrian. Oh, my God. Adrian. <laughs> there ain't going to be no rematch. <laughs> it's just... You know, I love when they build a universe and melds, but then it's, do you think like on I'm being like genuine in this because he's asked the girl for a number and it's five, five, five. And he says, I bet everyone's number starts with five, five, five. He's like, that's because it's a movie. Do you think at this point, 1983 film was still viewed with such a sanctity and such a prestige that certain critics and a certain level of the audience would scoff at the idea of making fun of movies. Yeah, like resent the fact that Shane Black was pointing out all the silliness in the story. That he was like consumed. dissecting what you're watching in front of you. Um, I mean, like now everyone just lives to masturbate to self-referential shit. Yep. And I, I was genuinely curious watching this if like if this was too soon because we talked about Scream recently. Scream was like the thing that came along and just like blew everything apart in terms of uh, well now it's fun to be meta and you know the quote from Moneyball the first one through the gates 
always gets bloody. And I'm not saying Last Action Hero was the first thing to do this, but my thought is like at a time where we're literally celebrating an achievement in filmmaking in Jurassic Park, this movie comes out that's poking fun at the process of filmmaking and just the absurdity in general of action films. I'm curious if that made people more cynical towards it. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's very possible. I think it's also uh, the balance, even as accomplished a filmmaker as uh, Joe McTiernan was, the, the balance was tricky because it, it's not even like it's a movie whose purpose is to tear down the the mythology behind blockbuster filmmaking. Because for all the deconstruction that the Danny character does uh, of, you know, these movies, these stories, the movie ends up being a celebration of them anyway. So it's really weird because I can see how this movie maybe would have found some sort of success among part of the public that were actually itching for somebody to just point out how ridiculous everything was. But then those people would have been kind of annoyed by the fact that in the end, the movie kind of comes around and says, it doesn't matter because blockbusters make us feel good and, you know, they're great. And so I think that in a way... It ended up pleasing it could, no It one. couldn't please anybody. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, speaking of something being too soon, the other thing that occurred to me while, while I was watching is that, yes, Arnold is great for this part, but I wonder if it was too soon in his career as an action star to make fun of himself. You know, it's like, um, this is something that maybe would have been easier to absorb for his fans if it was 10 years later or 20 years later. I can't call him a friend of the podcast because I'm not sure he's ever listened to a single episode, but we have cited him <laughs> numerous times. So we'll just say acquaintance of the podcast, John Golson. Uh, I read, I hopped on letterbox to log my review of this and I mm-hmm. read his review of it. And he spoke to exactly what you're saying that for better or for worse, when Arnold made this choice, there was no going back. Like he just in this outed himself as a big goofy action movie star and as awesome as true lies is, which came the next year that doesn't do much else to, cause that that's as much a comedy as anything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you got fucking Batman and Robin. And I think there's some merit to that Golson idea of like, this was him just conceding. This is what he does. Um, and he don't get me. Arnold's done a lot of great shit. I am a huge trumpeter of Maggie, which is only ten years old or whatever, where he actually goes for it in that. But I think you're right. A year removed from one of the greatest action films ever made, if not the, in T two, for him to turn around and just be like, "See how silly all this is? It's just a movie, guys." I could, yeah, I could see people being like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> uh, or two years, excuse me, good. <laughs> Judgment Day was was that Fourth of July ninety one, yeah. Uh, yeah. The people who uh, accumulated that fucking five hundred fifty million dollars for it were just like, we paid for this shit. <laughs> hey, he's right. Every phone number starts with five five five. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in the movie, though, this is where Arnold starts to like, kind of sarcastically and facetiously follow the tips that Danny provides him and it, it leads to him just like stumbling upon who becomes the bad guy in this who's Charles Dance who plays Mr. Benedict returning uh, to the show Alien um, 3 um oh okay that literally our third episode <laughs> years ago uh, but yeah he if I can use one of my five dollar words he shows up to the door and very sardonically is like we're looking for drug dealers and uh <laughs> Charles Dance, who plays a tremendous bad guy in this, yep. is, he like tells him to fuck off, uh, but he realizes now that the they're on to him. So we go back to what we think is Jack Slater's home, and we get Veronica Vaughn, Sonia Blade, Bridget Wilson. I was wondering if you were going to call that out. When was the last time you watched Mortal Kombat? Oh, it's been a long-ass time. Okay, I, I think I, I watched it last year. And I was like, who is this? Who is this? And then, thank you, Internet. I didn't have to wonder for the rest of the movie. Um, I guess she kicks ass 
everywhere, not just in the Mortal Kombat universe. God, she's such a fucking 90s hottie, man. And that's only, only for me having in the library Billy Madison and Mortal Kombat. But God, she left quite the impression. And you've never even seen Billy Madison. Yep. <laughs> that, so uh, Veronica Vaughn is her name in that movie. As Adam Sandler says, Veronica Vaughn, so hot. Want to touch the hiney? <laughs> if you can picture Adam Sandler saying something like that in a movie. It's like he was recording uh, with us right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I kind of marked out for her. This was her first movie, actually. I'm just looking at right now. And uh, perfect for the role. Hot blonde. You know, for what this movie is trying to establish. You know, she's ample. Uh, she's really good at the one-liners. Uh, very uncomfortable how she has a black eye, though, because this guy just, like, backhanded her twice. Twice. And wasn't a fan of... Yeah. Uh, I understood that she got, like, the comeuppance because she fucking gives him the the kick to the groin, and it causes him to take, like, this massive bump into a bookshelf. It's, it's fantastic, but... You know, and nowhere near as offensive and just kind of like fuck off as showgirls but what we talk about in that movie is like if you're trying to establish a light tone in your film uh a man hitting a woman as hard as he can is not there's like i'm sorry there's like no place for it unless you're gonna do something so it's okay it's it's a fine line if you want to make this movie with like a light-hearted or even a comedy and do any kind of male-on-female violence in it, you have to do something like Kingpin, where, like, Vanessa Angel and Woody Harrelson get into a fist fight, and she just kind of beats the shit out of them. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why uh, Peter Farrelly won an Oscar down the line. He, he can pull <laughs> that kind of stuff off. <laughs> Peter Farley. Uh <laughs> Farrelly is a different, you know, he's still struggling with his, his pizza dramas. <laughs> Uh, so yeah the point of it is it's just like that immediately was like come on man we don't need that here but like i said in the end veronica vaughn sonia blade gets the the upper hand on him and um it's just this insane sequence of charles dance and his guys showing up and gunfire explosions counterfeit money dudes getting kicked in the dick uh this is kind of where danny realizes that it's a movie so he he can do whatever he wants. He's not going to hurt. But then the the you know I don't call it, it's not like wall breaking, but the self referential meta thing of him saying, "Wait, no, I'm the comic sidekick. I you know I could die." And um, for absolutely no reason, we get Danny on a bike flying to recreate the famous shot from ET. Uh, I guess that was one of the you noticed black and white. Bogart and, and I did it. I noticed the ET homage here. I take it you did too because it was pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this movie, I mean, it is not to the point of being distracting, but more it, it was just pleasant surprises along the way because you, uh, I don't know. I guess these days I am more aware of the the very strict lines drawn between properties as far as studios. You know what I mean? Like, so you know that, oh, well, Jason is not going to show up in the Marvel Universe or whatever. But back then, I think knowing that it was God, made please. It... <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, in 1993, because I'm not familiar with the background, like, at some point, I just kind of realized that anything could happen in this world. They could reference anything. I want to say, like, towards the end of this movie, aren't they referencing a Bergman movie? <laughs> like, the black and white we where death comes from uh, at the very yeah. end. So, yeah, so Bergman's like, masterpiece. All bets are off. Uh, well, yeah, and we get references to Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. This is like fucking... All the contrarians are just like exploding right now. It's WrestleMania Five. They're just battling into each other. <laughs> um, so, Alex, before we go any further, because I, I guess I had uh, something extra going on, I guess, in the back of my mind. Uh, that is different from your experience. And it could have been a drawback, but ended up being something positive. And that is that I have seen The Purple Rose of Cairo. You haven't, right? Correct. Okay. Do, are you, do you know what the movie's about? Who's in it? Uh, Mia Farrow and Jeff Daniels. Yes, 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 yes. So, so this is basically... Last action here. Well, okay, for those of you listeners who are not familiar with uh, Purple Rose of Cairo, it's, uh, it's a Woody Allen movie... Jeff Daniels is like this this 
movie star, and Mia Farrow is uh, this girl that just goes and loses herself in movies. That's that's her escape, much like Danny. And she goes and she's watching a movie that Jeff Daniels starring in, and at some point Jeff Daniels breaks the fourth wall and talks to her because he recognizes her because she's there every day <laughs> and invites her over and she walks into the movie and spends a good chunk of, of you know the, the runtime of the actual movie in inside Jeff Daniels's world and then halfway through it flips and she comes back to the real world and Jeff Daniels follows her and uh, you know there's a romance and so on so last action hero in the end if you've seen that last action hero feels like the the most exciting version of Purple Rose of Cairo with a much less controversial director behind it and it's good because it, at first I was like, oh, man, I've seen this before. The whole, oh, you know, somebody from our world is going to go into the movie world and then somebody from the movie world is going to come back to our world. And I I honestly wasn't sure that there was enough meat on those bones. <laughs> uh, and then Shane Black and John McTiernan proved me wrong. Uh, I think that you have a really good action director and you have a really good comedy writer and you put them together and you get something that's truly special so even though i had a very similar movie on the surface uh, kind of bouncing back in the back of my head uh this was still felt very unique and part of it is because of all those references the fact that it keeps making itself feel part of uh of our world with all those connections oh shit i'm a comedy sidekick it's not gonna through all this chaos, what ends up happening is Charles Dance gets the ticket. He uh, he now he doesn't really know what it is, but he eventually figures it out. So the portal to the real world or back to reality is in the hands of the the bad guy, the antagonist. Arnold has to turn in his badge also because the the glass eye that was left behind leads to a big explosion and all this chaos that ensued from it. The police chief just. Slater just rips into him once more. From this, we learn that uh, Jack Slater is kind of a lonely man. He has this really just kind of bare efficiency apartment that he lives in, and his ex-wife is remarried. And uh, this is like one of the interesting parts because this is where this character within a fictional world becomes more layered. Do you think that at this point we're seeing stuff that's not in the movies because i got that feeling since danny seems surprised at seeing yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. personal like, life of jack slater it's like you know the, wondering when the story doesn't center around moses like on the simpsons like what mo's life is like right and so yeah here it's like it just builds this element of curiosity to it and like this whole idea that's the whole inception idea or you know the Dream the Matrix, you know the this infinite possibilities that are out there of these fictional worlds of what happened to these characters when they're not around, and that doesn't work in every movie. That fucking TikTok that went viral recently with that guy talking about, well, we should see what priests think in the world of you know, Doctor Strange. It's like, no, Man, fuck off. That really got under your skin because this is the third episode in a row. I think that you brought it up. It. It made me so angry because that's gonna, that's what's going to do it. That is what that's going to be the philosophy that people subscribe to, and just everything's going to be the exact same shit. But a fictional, self-contained. If you want to do that in the next Black Panther, Doctor Strange movie, whatever, create the side plot. Cool. Self-contained ideas like this are awesome because then, like in this ninety minutes to two hours that you're in this vicinity it allows your brain to be like oh shit like i never thought about that when the camera's on or on like what these people are doing that type of thing so these self-contained ideas of these fictional characters having more to their life than what we know just because we've only seen so much that is interesting and then like also the hilarity of arnold coming home and he just shoots his closet and there's like a guy like you know an assassin was waiting in there for him and he's just like, there's someone always waiting. It cost me a fortune on closet doors. That shit is funny. How'd you feel about the shameless product placement for Coca-Cola throughout this movie? Coca-Cola, Burger King. I'm not sure if I caught anything else. Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> 
Coca-Cola is the one that stood out to me. And of course, I can't think of the, the specific scene right now. I'm just seeing on my notes. It says, uh, dude, it was so uh, much more obvious back in these days. Like now. But that's what makes it endearing. You know, it's like, exactly. It was a awesome. dirty thing. And then at some point, people caught on and they're like, oh, now we're going to call it out. And that kind of sucks the fun out of it. <laughs> 100%. And what sucks right now is I can't tell if you're being genuine or contrarian's corner because this is the type of thing I would agree with you. And then you'd be like, <laughs> fucking Mark. Uh, <laughs> so Vivaldi is this old mob boss who's basically he thinks he's pulling the strings of Mr. Benedict, Charles Dance, but Dance is the one. He's got this all mapped out. So what happens here in this next sequence is Slater deduces that what's going to happen is he's going to wipe out like all of this mob family because this dude died recently and he's, his funeral's happening on the top of the skyscraper. So what he's going to do is pump this dude full of gas and after it goes off, he's going to release it and it's going to kill all these people. So... He goes there to stop it. Sadly, they're initially thwarted by F. Murray Abraham. This is where he turns heel and is like, he's the bad guy. And we kind of get this showdown with them. And <laughs> I love the hold- fact that uh, they have this running joke about him playing Salieri in Amadeus, which is the yes. role that he won the Oscar for. I-, I love it for so many reasons, but probably the the biggest one is that it shows that Danny, the, the 10-year-old, watched Amadeus. <laughs> It, it he's not only did he watch Amadeus, but he retained enough of it and was aware of it while watching it that he knows that F. Murray Abraham won the Oscar for it. It's in that he killed Mozart. It's amazing uh, because that is Shane Black writing a smart kid character. You know, the whole point is that Danny is not just like a, he's a movie buff, and that that's what makes him relatable. Because uh, I can't, you know me, I can't relate to like kids in movies i just find him annoying but you make him a a film nerd and okay well now you're speaking my language (laughs) it doesn't matter that he's 10 because he's he's calling out of murray abraham for being uh the man that that murdered mozart so that's uh that's pretty cool and and yeah that comes to (laughs) how is it uh arnold says oh yeah danny told me that you killed mozart and if murray abraham says mo who (laughs) mozart (laughs) i don't know who that is Good stuff. Yeah, F.M. Abraham, they, they joke about it is that he's taking too long to actually, you know, shoot and kill them. And eventually he gets shot from behind by Whiskers, the animated cat that we saw a bit earlier, who's voiced by Danny DeVito. And this was the point in the movie where I was just like, all right, this rules. Like that we're taking, you know, this is the level of seriousness that it's being taken in. I was completely on board with this movie at this point you introduce an animated cat the first act you pay him off (laughs) exactly my man uh it takes some uh, hijinks and a bit of comedy and some fucking gunfire uh, but they are able to um get the body of the deceased uh, mob member and it ends up in a tar pit so the the gas that's released doesn't end up killing anybody this is a an amazing set piece that is this John McTiernan kind of putting the brakes on the comedy for a little bit. And it's like, okay, can I flex my, my usual muscles? It's Arnold versus a whole rooftop full of uh, mobsters. And then he jumps on the crane and there's a helicopter. I mean, this is, this is not just a funny movie. It's a good action movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what I was saying earlier. Like you need to get somebody who can handle both things. Because you could have easily had somebody that was a comedy director that was not as comfortable with the action. And then these long sequences would fall flat because you'd be like, okay, can we get back to the story? But but no, this is exciting. It's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger doing the things that you're that you usually go to the movies to watch him do. So he delivers it on on that end. Comedically, this sequence ends like with a high point because Arnold falls in this tar pit and there's this brilliant bit of uh, he just has some paper towels and it cuts away from him and it'll cut back to him. And he's like cleaner and cleaner as it goes on with tar covering him. But he's just using these paper towels to dab himself. I, I was laughing really hard at that every time it cut <laughs> back to him. Uh, but this is where Charles Dance, uh, Mr. Benedict figures out the power of the ticket and he jumps into you know the parallel world which 
you know, for us is the real world. And shortly after Arnold and Danny follow him, uh, this is where we get the big inception moment where uh, Jack Slater sees the giant, you know, side of the building billboard for Jack Slater. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Jack Slater. <laughs> Before we can get him meeting his, you know, actual counterpart in Arnold Schwarzenegger, we get we've talked about this so many times on this podcast, Julio. One of the greatest tropes that's ever existed in any form of medium is establishing how dangerous yes. 80s, 90s New York City is. <laughs> I was hoping you would bring this up. <laughs> because Charles Dance is just watching, you know, what's going on in the crime. And he's looking around. He's like, no screams? No sirens? And it's this awesome scene where he finds just like a mechanic. And he's like, excuse me. He's like, yeah, he's like, can you? I think he says something like, I, I need your help to conduct an experiment. And then he just shoots him. And then he goes out in the street and he's just waiting for anything. And he's like, I've murdered a man. I said I have murdered a man and I want to confess. And then someone goes, keep it down out there. <laughs> <laughs> this might be my new favorite Charles Dance role because he is, uh, I mean, he's always been a, a, a well-known character actor, but he kind of rose to prominence in his late years because he played one of the main villains in game of thrones and he was fucking amazing there and so my uh, sister like for 75 percent of the movie was like what is he from and she finally like, threw in the towel and looked it up on internet and she's like oh yeah he's something lannister yep tywin lannister he is a son of a bitch in, in that show and uh very i mean very different from the character that he's playing here last action hero but also some of you know the sense of humor kind of like the, the serious tone and is, is there and I'd always obviously when I watched this movie the first time when I was a kid I didn't know who uh, Charles Dance was but now re-watching it I was excited to see him play the bad guy because I remember hearing that that oh yeah Tywin Lannister is in Last Action Hero and uh, he did not disappoint it's he's great he's it's funny because he's not uh, hamming it up but I think he's one of the funniest characters in the movie yeah 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 and he, you know as the kids would say he understands the assignment being the, the bad guy there and this whole sequence is great but yeah he brings in from the film world the ripper who is one of the villains from the previous jack slater movies and you know it's like if you, he <laughs> the villain that killed uh, jack slater's son <laughs> yes yep and convinces them you know like what you really need to do to take him out is to kill this arnold schwarzenegger fellow uh arnold tracks him down um Benedict Charles Dance that is and he's too late but he figures out what the the game is at this point in the movie I had to pause it and rewind it because the paper the movie section on it it looked like it had one of the original ads for Jason goes to hell on it and it said Jason in big letters so like <laughs> I had to pause it and really study it but that wouldn't have matched up <laughs> like chronologically enhance enhance <laughs> Like fucking Idris Elba and uh, Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> uh, but no, Jason Goes to Hell wasn't for uh, another two months after this. Sadly. I mean, it could have been, but it didn't look like it. But we did get Bram Stoker's Dracula. Anyway, it's the premiere of Jack Slater 4. This Ripper character is going to go there to kill Arnold Schwarzenegger. The movie Jack's becomes the player. And this is in the best possible way. Yes. Yes. Uh, and through this process, Slater's learning real life because he like breaks a window out and he's like, my hand hurts. <laughs> Danny has to explain to him, yeah, that's 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 what happens, dog. So they get to the premiere. Um, we get to see you know all the people, the celebrities, the dignitaries going in, including Chevy Chase, Damon Wayans. Uh, we mentioned JCVD. Jim Belushi. Uh, Jim Belushi for some fucking reason. Maria Shriver's there easily the mvp of the movie maybe because i just was not expecting her to be funny i i thought that she was just gonna be there because oh well she's arnold's wife this is how we established that this is arnold in our world but she has this kind of running joke about being embarrassed of him <laughs> the fact yeah. that he keeps plugging a uh, planet hollywood it's dude it's amazing. so good <laughs> When they're walking, and he's like, "That's the National Enquirer. Don't talk to them." But then it's like her; she's like, "Don't plug the the restaurant. It's tacky." And then it eventually leads to him talking about Planet Hollywood, and she comes and like pulls him away from the the interview he's doing. It's great. Um, 
But yeah, it's just a parade of stars, but it leads to the Ripper getting in there and trying to kill the actual Arnold Schwarzenegger. So what Jack Slater does, he pulls a gun out and tells everyone to get down. The actual Arnold in a moment of like, this is the type of shit Hulk Hogan would have had in his contract back in <laughs> 2000 WCW. The real Arnold has to save the day and tackles him. And then, like we said, we get the, uh, you know, Lindsay Lohan parent trap type shot where he's just like, oh, you know, you're the, the most realistic one I've seen yet. And <laughs> Jack Slater chases the Ripper up to the roof. And the beginning is the end is the beginning, that type of thing. Cause we're just, we replay what happened at the beginning of the film. In this situation, though, Slater gets the best of the Ripper. He's not anticipating Charles Dance getting up there, though, and he shoots him in the fucking chest. Uh, how do they do away with him in the end? Because I know it has to do with Danny helps him out. What's How do they end up getting rid of Charles Dance? Arnold just shoots him, I think. <laughs> There's an explosion of some sort, though, because he tells him, no sequel for you, and then, like... Oh, because I think like the it's established earlier in the movie his glass eyes are bombs. Right, he shoots him in the eye. Yeah, because it they it blows up the ticket. That's the main thing. But but and, Arnold is yeah yeah you're right because uh, yeah he blows up the what they thought was the only way for Arnold to get back, and uh, he needs to get back because he's been shot in the real world in the fucking chest in the dangerous New York of the eighties and nineties. <laughs> yes, exactly. So yeah, the the chaos really ensues because they're trying to take. Jack Slater to the hospital and then Danny pulls out a gun he's like we need to go back to the movie theater and they just all leave <laughs> so and again it's one of those things at this point in the movie I was just like hell yes when this fucking little kid starts driving the car uh, the ambulance and they end up going back to the movie theater and he takes him down to the front right by the screen and you know Arnold he thinks it's useless at this point but Danny goes to the the ticket window or basically the, the podium is what we used to call it. And I assume they still do, but that's also checks out. At least that process was the same till this day. <laughs> he goes up to the, the podium and empties out where all the ticket stubs were. And he finds the ticket stub for the magic ticket. Um, so he finally finds the, the magic ticket stub and takes it down and the fucking portal opens back up. I mean, we, we brushed over, we mentioned it earlier. What's the film that Ian McKellen comes to life from? Okay. Hang on. It's a Bergman film. And, He's playing death. So I think it's the, the seventh seal, but the seventh seal. Yep. It? Okay. Yeah. Cool. He comes back and it's just so we can have Magneto in this movie to be like, Hey, what's up <laughs> in seven years? I'm going to inadvertently ruin everything for everyone. <laughs> uh, but no, it's actually pretty good. Cause he shows up and you know, Danny thinks that he's there to take Jack Slater and he just like kind of eyes him up and down. He's like, no, I was just only curious. You know, I don't, I don't deal with fiction. And he well, says, the better you're- part, yeah, yeah, yeah. The better part is what he says about Danny. Yeah, he's like, you're on my list. He's like, soon? He says, no, you die a grandfather. And then he just kind of turns around and leaves. It, again, for the tone the movie's trying to set, I think it works pretty well. But the portal's, you know, open. So Danny and Jack go back into the movie world. And it's just, there's no shame in movies being this way. Where it's just a ridiculous scenario and an even more ridiculous end where Danny's like, no, I want to stay here. And Jack just says, no, you have to go back to your world. and Don't worry, you'll see me soon enough, that type of thing. Well, he tells him, your mom is going to freak out if you never come back to the real world. Yeah. She's already yeah. lost one kid. She went through that with Tom Hanks. <laughs> this is the part where Arnold starts singing uh, Memory All Alone in the Moonlight. <laughs> so anyway, Danny hoofs it back to the real world. He's back in the theater with Nick. Uh, and he watches how the film ends. And it's Arnold, you know, going meta, even more meta in his movies. Like, you're just yelling at me because you're the comic relief. He's saying this to the captain. And Danny watches and appreciates that he was able to educate Jack and... They were able to learn about each other's world. Do that you think that thing. Danny's actions inadvertently ruined the Jack Slater franchise? One hundred percent. Siskel and Ebert. The next day, they're like, "Oh, the franchise jumped the shark." Jack Slater yes. looked at the camera and went meta. Yes, I do, Julio. But I also know that you know, fucking Jack Slater Five, where he's looking to the camera and winking. And just acknowledging everything that's happening somewhere, a young Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant were watching. <laughs> And they said, we can do something with this. And then I'll be in the Muppets. <laughs> this is my springboard to the Muppets. 
So anyway, Last Action Hero fucking rules. Uh, we we went to a lot of places during that discussion in Contrarian's Corner, but I'm I'm even more curious as to where the discussions of Real Talk are going to take us, Julio. Yes, Alex. Let's go to Real Talk, and uh, we'll we'll reveal our true cards. Into the screen we go. You got to be a magician after all, Nick. It really does work. Ah, the ticket's yours, Danny. And you know something? I think the magic was yours, too. Come on. Let me tell you about the time I was about your age and my pop took me to see Buffalo Bill. Yeah, well, we went backstage to see City Bulls. Right? 